Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Our circumstances do not limit God. God can still turn things around in the midst of our circumstances. In times of persecution and poverty, the church as a whole has overcome throughout the years. Listen as Doug shares from a recent message at Christian Fellowship in Beaumont, Texas. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. I really believe that we are ripe for a significant move or movement of God because not just the history that we all are connected to, even generationally, what God has wanted to do in the region and has done in the region in times past, but because I sense that there is an authentic hunger and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. And there has been a pressing in, a perseverance. Uh, There have been challenges, obviously, in the natural realm, in the spiritual realm, and in all that we all go through, unexpected uh, detours or challenges. And yet you've maintained that hunger and thirst for righteousness in God's presence. And that tells me that's a sign that you're ripe for a move of God. And then holiness, because in the midst of the changing culture, you've never given up that place of also knowing, look, we can love everyone, but we cannot give up certain non-negotiables of being holy, even as God is holy. Holiness, as I've shared here in the years past, is one of the uh, things that attracts God's presence. And not holiness that's some sort of external piety or external expression only, but it is an internal consecration of the heart that says, God, my life is not my own. It belongs to you. And that we don't justify by our excuses how we want to compromise God's word, but we are justified by faith, giving God the right to change us. 2015, when I was going through stage four, 80% B-cell lymphoma, 80% aggressive cancer, during that time, people would say to me, I lost my hair, I'm still traveling, I never stopped traveling, I was ministering all across the country, some major gatherings and and solemn assemblies and prayer events that we were helping to facilitate. And people would say, how could you keep ministering? And you're even ministering miracles in people's lives when you're going through what you're going through. I said, my circumstance doesn't dictate to me who God is, but God dictates to me, me, not him. Circumstances don't change God, God changes circumstances. And all of our stories may be different, But at the end of the day, we cannot try to change who God is. We don't justify by our excuses. We are justified by faith in this amazing, great grace of God that God has given us, the abounding grace of God. And so holiness is an attractive attribute that attracts God's presence along with our hunger and our thirst. And humility is another one because there is a spirit of humility even in your pursuit of holiness that isn't trying to criticize or judge or project on others, but it's more like it's me. In our family, we talk about others may, we may not. So we don't criticize or judge others. What we do is say, how is God calling us to a deeper place, a personal consecration? So we're not projecting, but we are saying, this is where God's called us. And as we go deeper in him, God is able to do greater things through his church. And then historically, the Lord has brought some significant moves of God to and through this area and region in times past. In 2000 years, there are three things that we've had to overcome. In times of persecution, the church has always been successful. 
Because God said that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church, right? Against the rock that has been founded, that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. We are his church. When we realize that we can pursue that place of what God has done, but yet there is persecution in 2,000 years. The church always seems to do well. He still has revival. You can't stop the church. The second thing we've had to overcome in times of poverty and, and poverty is where it seems like there's no resources, but God proves himself over and over in the feeding of the 5,000 men, not even counting the women and children. You can take a handful of fishes and loaves and he'll multiply it. So it's not about the resources, it's about our willingness to be stewards of the resources. So even in times of poverty, the church always seems to prosper. And, and many of you may remember, read about, or maybe you know, family have lived through the Great Depression. And in times like that, and yet even in those times, things like Caterpillar and things like J.C. Penney and things like other companies, Laterno, that in the midst of the most difficult of times, God began to give creative ideas and inventions and things to Christians to help become a benefit to society and to create jobs. Circumstances cannot limit God. God's going to still turn around things in the midst of circumstances. And so the church has been able to overcome persecution and poverty in 2,000 years. But the one, maybe two things that I'll kind of incorporate is one, is the thing that we have always had a hard time overcoming. Because it's always been God's intention to give the church peace and prosperity so that we can be a blessing to the nations, that we can be a blessing to others. And yet, in 2,000 years, whenever God gives us long periods of peace and prosperity, we tend to become self-absorbed. We forget our stewardship. If we look at our individual lives, how many of us, if we're honest, would say, when we were nothing in our own eyes, God was like doing so many things, and all of a sudden we get a little bit arrogant and thinking it's us. And then God has to allow us to be humbled a little bit, right? As we eat humble pie, as we used to say. And so long periods of peace and prosperity is the thing that the church has had to try to toil with and has had to try to overcome, but has not been successful in the longer sense. So persecution and poverty, yes, God always works through that. And yet the church, we tend to have a problem when we begin to forget where we've come from. I remember in 1983, traveling around with Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, who wrote Maximize Manhood, Communication, Sex and Money, Strong Men in Tough Times. He became a spiritual father to me. I remember traveling with him and we were in a particular city where there was a gathering of every major charismatic Pentecostal leaders were there. And it was an amazing thing to see some incredible things happening. But I noticed some things that when you get close to certain people and situations that you look up to and you get around them and see the humanity, that I've learned I'd have to be real careful to know how to separate frailty of humanity with the anointing of God. Because as a young man in my early 20s at that time, I really got disappointed because I saw the, the frailty of humanity. And the Lord had to remind me that just like I need grace, you need to give grace to others. Because I don't want to be held to who I once was. I want to be who God's called me to be today. And I thank God I'm not the same guy I have been and did the silly things I've done even as a Christian. I want to make sure that I'm walking in the grace of God every day. I need that grace, grace, and that favor, favor, just like all of us, right? Dr. Cole was a great example to me, but as we met all these other people, I began to see some things. And I thank God I had a, a great example like Dr. Cole, who was a man's man, 
no nonsense to sin. And I would travel with him, he'd get in the truck after we left or that van, and he just, after being a strong guy, challenging men to save and help families, and, and all of a sudden he'd get in that van and he'd just break. And before he would talk to any of us in the van as we were traveling, he'd say, oh God, give me a little more time, more strength, more grace to reach a few more men, to reach a few more families. And I would see that humility, even though he was strong on the platform, he was a man of humility in private. And I learned a lot of life lessons because of men like him. Remember like Leonard Ravenhill, who became like a spiritual grandfather to me and used to teach me things like, never take yourself so serious, Doug but always take God serious. When I was in this particular city and I was going through this grieving process and seeing all these great leaders that I, that I respected and yet I saw the frailty of humanity, I went to the restaurant and the restaurant at that time said Jeremiah's and the Lord said, go to your room and reread Jeremiah chapter one. Now I won't get into everything the Lord said to me, but one thing he did say is don't just look at your youth. Don't think that I don't have a plan for you. But my plan is this, don't ever forget where you've come from. In other words, I'm gonna take you into places to ministering in king's palaces and all over the world. I'm thinking, I can't even take care of the things I'm already doing with the homeless people I'm helping in Houston, much less think about all that. But the Lord literally did that, not because I aspired to those things, but I wanted to be a steward of availability every day of my life. One day, God will bring me to some people in a garbage dump in a Muslim country and able to minister to them. The next moment, I'm with the president of a Muslim country, praying to them for them in Jesus' name. You just never know where God will take you if we're just available and obedient every day. But I wasn't aspiring to anything. I just wanna be a good steward of what God's given me every day. Every morning, I pray that God I would be available to you and walk in simple obedience to you because obedience is the highest form of worship. The songs that we sing and the instruments we play are great. That's an external expression. But the first time the word worship is ever mentioned in scripture is not in the context of instruments or singing. It's in the context of simple obedience to God. So worship is not just an external expression in song and instrument. It's the internal consecration of a heart that says, God, I just want to serve you, obey you, and walk with you every moment of every day. That I'm nothing without you. And that's another part of my prayer. God, I know I'm nothing without you. There's nothing, I'm nothing without you. So the Lord reminded me at that moment in the 1980s, Doug, don't forget where you've come from and I will take you to these places. And again, I wasn't aspiring for those things, but I knew I had to walk in that place of hunger and humility if God was going to use me. We all hit the brick walls. We all get the wind knocked out of us. Life happens throughout time. We have those unexpected detours. Those things do happen, but at the same time, we don't wanna lose our vision of hope and vision of destination. Recently, I wrote an article where I said, the devil wants your vision, but God wants your limp. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, when Nahash the Ammonite came against the men of Jabesh Gilead, Nahash also kind of means a cunning one, serpent evil one. And so Nahash, the evil one, the cunning serpent, came against the men of Jabesh Gilead and encamped the city. And the people were so backed up against the wall. And how many of us have ever had the wind knocked out of us or we felt like we're backed up against the wall? They were so backed up against the wall, so in distress, they didn't know what to do. And so they decided, let's make a treaty or a compromise with Nahash. How many of us when we feel like the wind's been knocked out of us and everything's going wrong, we just begin to compromise. One thing we cannot do is compromise our convictions to God. 
There are some non-negotiables that no matter what we go through, we cannot compromise. When others are compromised, we have to stand for what is right. Now, how we express it is important that we're not coming across as hateful, but we are definitely standing our ground in who Jesus says. When everything else fails, stand. Stand against the wiles of the enemy. Stand against the wiles of the devil. When they just said, let's make a compromise. And he said, okay, I'll do a treaty with you. I'll make a compromise in this one condition. I want the right eye of all of your men. Why would you want the right eye of every man? I learned from a friend, Ray Comfort, who does The Way of the Master. He and I have been friends since the 1980s. And but one day we were talking. I said, I don't understand. Why would Nahash want the right eye of every man? He said, from what I understand, in those days growing up, every boy was taught to use a shield in their left hand and a weapon in their right hand. And the way that they would fight is they would always watch for the enemy with their right eye around the shield. And that's how they would march in ranks and they would know how to find their enemy. Their right eye, they instinctively grew knowing how to use their right eye. So Nahash knew, look, if I take their right eye, they won't have the capacity of fight in them anymore. So if you give the right eye, and I would use the term right eye of righteousness. You give up and we compromise the right eye of righteousness. If we give up the things that God has given us, then we have no power to overcome the enemy. Nahash, if you give me the right eye, they have no fight. They have no ability to instinctively fight and respond in those moments. When I used to wrestle or, or even uh, friends of mine, their other athletes, they've learned things so much that instinctively when they're in the game, they practice so much in the game, they instinctively respond. They don't just stop and think about it. They move and instinctively respond, shoot the basket or do a layup or do a three-pointer. It's got to be instinctive. It's not something you just stop. Let me think about that for a second. And even as believers, we need to instinctively respond because the Spirit of God lives in us. And we respond by the Holy Spirit already in us, and we've been prepared in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, in this temple that God has given us and purchased with the very blood of Jesus, that we respond without having to even think about it anymore. Because that's the living God living in us. The devil wants to take our vision. He wants to take our vision because if he takes our vision, he takes our ability to instinctively respond in the authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But you think of Jacob, all that he went through and the internal wrestling in his life and the conflicts he was going through. And finally he's leaving. He hears that his brother Esau, who he felt like he had deceived. And now all of a sudden his brother Esau is looking for him. And so he's going, he's trying to leave his past, but he's processing all this internal stuff. He had all this wealth. He had all these things with him. He had all these assets. And he comes to a place, and David Wilkerson did a great teaching on this many years ago on the Ford Jabbok, the total surrender. And Jacob came up to a place called the Ford of Jabbok, and David Wilkerson said it was a place of like total surrender. It's where you're running from your past, you're running from the things you're in conflict with. And he gets there and realizes in his own strength he gets there, but he has to total surrender to the Father's will. It's like the burnt offering, the total surrender. So he comes across the Fort of Jabbok, the place of total surrender. He comes into a place called Penal, and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. He comes in his own strength. He comes with his internal conflicts. He comes with his own ideas. He comes with a past and a history of processing and thinking, and he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and he prevails. He comes in his own physical strength, 
his mental capacity. He comes in his own abilities. He comes in his own assets. But by the time he leaves, he leaves with a limp. But the limp of God changed his destiny. We can't change who we've been, what we've done. We can't change our past. But the decisions we make to surrender to the will of the Father and realize that it's better to walk in the limp of God than to walk in the strength of the flesh. So the devil wants to steal your vision, but God wants us to walk with a limp. And again, holiness is not an external piety or an external expression, it's internal consecration of the heart. So I sense God is up to something. Now, a lot of times we want to tell God how to do it, put our fingerprints on it, put our thumbprint on it. But if you just begin to stop it and evaluate what God has done historically, what God has been doing in your lives, the faithfulness of God, and you bring it to the context of today, and you start thinking, wait a minute, there's some things been going on. I've been praying and believing and many tears have been wept. And I love what Spurgeon says, that tears are like liquid prayers. And now I like to pray, God, hear their tears. Hear their tears. How many tears are saying, God, I want to see you. God, I want to see you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you think about the Sermon on the Mount, is such a contrast of what happened in the Old Testament and the Exodus and, and the time in the desert. In fact, when you think about what God was doing then, and the first time that Moses went up onto the mountain to get the tablets from God, the people became so impatient that they decided to do it their way. So they raised up the golden calves while God is visiting with Moses and giving this whole layout for them. And when he comes back and he sees the people have raised up a golden calf out of their impatience. How many times have we tried to touch the cart ourselves and try to tell God how he needs to do something? And we become impatient. We raise up our own little idols and things thinking, well, God, I'm doing it for you. But yet here's this guy, the greatest and wisest and richest guy in the world. And he even recognized when he built the cedars of Lebanon, he built this incredible, magnificent wonders of the world. When he built the temple for God, when he built that, even he realized the world leaders were impressed. People were impressed, but he knew that God wasn't impressed. So even Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, went in and said, God, who do I think I am to think that the God that the heavens of the heavens cannot even contain would be able to be contained in this place we've built? Nonetheless, when he humbled himself and he had a, a sacrifice put on the altar, it says the fire of God consumed the sacrifice on the altar and the glory filled the temple. How much more important are you and me we're not built with the hands of men, but we are wonderfully and beautifully made by the hands of God. We've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So we're much more valuable than Solomon's temple. And Solomon's temple, God heard that humble prayer and his fire consumed the sacrifice and filled the altar. But how much more when we offer ourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. As the temples of the Holy Spirit as we go deeper in consecration in the stewardship of this temple, that God will give us this place of seeing our humility and laying ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar, that the fire of God then will consume us 
and his glory fill our temple. God hears the tears. God sees the sacrifices. God sees those who have not compromised. They have not acquiesced to the things of the world. That doesn't mean that we're not living in the world, but we're not of the world. There are so many things that God has given us as resources and tools by which we can walk in the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when we walk in humility, God can do these things. And if we never forget where we've come from, God will consume us with his presence. We're ripe for revival. Amen? I believe we are ripe for revival. And I love this in Psalm 45, 1, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, the song of love. It says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And I always used to love that because I want my life to be that, that my response to everything is not that I have to somehow articulate things perfectly, but that there is so much of the Holy Spirit in me and that my mind that, that would be filled with the things of God, that my response would be immediate when there is an accusation against God or an accusation against this church, that I respond with the right spirit, with the authority of the Holy Spirit to have the tongue of a ready rider, that I would articulate his word and articulate his spirit, the essence of the power and the presence of God. But what I love about this story, and I won't get into the whole story because I just want to give you kind of a layout of where God's take us and I believe wants to encourage us that he wants to give us a word in season, especially in the weariness that many are going through. You just watch the news, you go, oh my gosh, not again. The hypocrisy and, the, and this and that. It's like, oh my gosh. It's not bigger than God. God's still bigger than the circumstances. We need God's presence. And just like it says in Isaiah 50, verse 4, that God wants us to have the tongue, not just in Psalm 45, as the tongue of a ready writer, but he wants to have the tongue of the learned. And so it says in Isaiah 50, verse 4, he wants us to speak a word in season to him who is weary. This is our moment. There is a world that's going through weariness. They're going through the desert of life. They're journeying in this place of weariness. This is our moment to step right in for heaven to invade earth, for lightning of heaven to strike in the midst of circumstances with the presence of God. This is that moment for us to step in, to have the tongue of the learned, that we could speak a word in season in time of people's weariness. When all hell breaks loose, the people that opposed us will remember those of us who never compromised. How many of you have had friends? I've had friends when I first came to Christ, and I was probably pretty zealous and probably scared some of my friends off, but uh, they began to reject me, saying, man, you're getting weird, man. You're turning into a Jesus freak, and they say all these things, you know, and I still loved them, so even if they began to resist me, and they began to call me names, and, but when all hell broke loose in their life, and all the other people that were patting on the back, oh, Doug's just, you know, weird, now he's turning into a religious guy, when all hell broke loose, they begin to process who's been really faithful to me in telling me the truth. And they would seek me out. Or how many of you have been work people and they, they didn't like you because they knew you were a Christian, you had your little scriptures around, your Bible around, you know, they'd resist you until all of a sudden when they were going through something, hey, you talk to the guy upstairs, don't you? All of a sudden now they want you. See, we don't have to worry about setting it up, we just have to be who God's called us to be, and God will set up opportunities to speak a word in season in time of people's weariness, amen? But what I love about Psalm 45 in this contemplation, 
King David has done this throughout the other Psalms. You know, he would start thinking out loud. He'd be frustrated and questioning God. But in the midst of questioning and thinking out loud, he'd answered his own questions. And he'd come back around full circle and talk about how faithful God is. Nevertheless, God, nevertheless, God, praise unto God, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden you could just see, just like I do sometimes, I'm thinking out loud and saying, oh God, I don't get it. Da, 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 da. And all of a sudden in the process, I'm, the Holy Spirit's moved my heart. I'm thinking, but God's always been faithful. God's good. Uh, he has a history with me. I mean, look what God's done for me all these years. And in the midst of my most difficult times, he'd been faithful to me. And all of a sudden I'm already answering my own questions. Well, this is what's happening here, because when you think about this in, in the context of people being taken from their homeland and many of the women that were being brought in that came from other lands that came to be uh, possibly the anointed as a princess or a queen for the king would be brought in. They're out of their comfort zone. They're out of that place of security. They're in the unknown, but it's in that place in the unknown. They're encouraged to know that you're getting ready to step into a place of royalty a place that you were meant to be. And I believe in the midst of all the weariness and all that we're going through and the challenges of life and all that's happening right now and all the unknowns for us, that God is about to place us into a place, just like with Esther for a time such as this, that God has prepared us, he's anointed us to step into royalty, to represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that people may not even understand why, but they'll be drawn to you. 2 Corinthians 2.14, we give thanks to God. We always give thanks to God who always leads us into triumph or victory through Christ Jesus so that we can become a dispenser or a sprayer of the fragrance of God. Getting up at night, I wasn't accustomed to having anybody in the house. I was used to, in my old house, I can get up, it could be pitch dark. I knew exactly where I was going if I had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom and you know, I didn't have to turn the lights. I knew exactly what I was doing. In a new house, I wasn't accustomed to my environment. And so I'd have to find my way through and try to find the nightlight. And, and, and one time I walked in and I'm getting ready to turn the lights on and I hear a sound. I went, whoa. And all of a sudden, this most incredible fragrance of heaven. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is God affirming my marriage and saying, <laughs> And I'm going to turn the lights on. The angel's going to go, fear not, for the Lord is with you. <laughs> I turn the lights on, nothing. But still this incredible smell. I looked up on the wall, and there's a machine that goes off every few minutes. <laughs> now, you've seen them like in restaurants, in the restrooms and restaurants. They're placed in places that can potentially become stinky. God is placed in a, in a stinky world so that we can become dispensers of the fragrance of heaven. These potential queens or, or princesses are brought in out of their comfort zone. We've been brought in outside of a comfort zone, but we've been created for times such as this. God is setting us up to be royalty and a fragrance of heaven in a world that's weary. We have a word in season. We need to speak a word in season in a world that desperately needs the Lord. Amen. And finally, back in December, I couldn't get it out of my spirit. And this has context to not letting the devil take your vision or discourage you in your weariness. Although we're uncomfortable in the moment we're living, this is our moment to step into the destiny God has for us. We may come in our own strength, 
But in the limp of God, our destiny will be changed and we will see the things we've been crying out for. This is the moment to see with our eyes what we've been praying for. But we cannot keep our eyes fixed on the things of this world or the tree of good and evil, fix your eyes on the tree of life. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So in December, I was just travailing, I was anguishing over the state of our generation, our nation, the world, all the deceptions, the hypocrisy. In fact, I was reminded of something I wrote about years ago in my book on the Ten Commandments, on the spirit of the Ten Commandments. You can't live the law of the commandments, but we need to understand the spirit of the commandments if we're going to be able to appreciate them. And I remember writing that the ancient Greek word for stage actor or play actor was hypocrite. We have a whole lot of stage actors. We have a whole lot of play actors on the scene today in Hollywood, music, commercials. You know, you've seen the TV show American Greed. Everybody has been caught up in the love of something, of idolatry, the love of power, the love of money, the love of, it's the root of all evil is the love of it. And we forgot that we're called to steward long periods of peace and prosperity so that we can be a blessing to others. It's not about self-adulation, self-absorption, self-righteousness, self-centeredness. A.W. Tozier said it well when he said self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. We need the face of God. We need God to show up. We can't be impatient and raise up our own golden idols or golden calves. When he came down with those tablets and they raised up their own golden calf, 3,000 died that day. In contrast, and that was about 40 days after the Red Sea crossing. In contrast, you look at Pentecost 2,000 years ago in the upper room. 3,000 were added to the church in one day. One brings death, one brings life. We need the Holy Spirit's presence. So these three words I kept getting in anguish throughout December 2022 in preparation and praying for the coming season. And it's not just a New Year's thing. I think about seasons. I think about seasons we're in. And I kept hearing exposure, implosions, explosions. Thinking, God, what is that supposed to mean? I felt like God was saying the first thing on the area of exposure, that God was gonna spotlight some things. He was gonna begin to spotlight and expose hidden areas of our hearts. He was going to expose the evilness in our world, at the same time exposing and spotlighting those who have not compromised. The second thing was gonna happen on a larger context, it would be implosions of many institutions and things that we put our hope in. But when you bought a car and you thought nobody else had that brand, once you get it, it's like, man, they're everywhere. You ever done that? Well, all of a sudden, when, I, when I'm thinking, praying into implosions, it's like everybody's using that word right now. Implosions. This company's imploding. That company's imploding. That nation's imploding. Everything's imploding. And even the things that have been evil are imploding because the enemy is fighting the enemy in ways they don't even realize. And God's taking care of us just staying focused, Staying patient, and God will expose, and then he will cause to implode those things that have come against the name of the Lord. And the third will be explosions. Some would be areas of shock, but I felt like that war, even more so for us, was the explosiveness of the Holy Spirit showing up. 
And then we saw what happened at Asbury. We saw what happened in A&M. We saw what happened at Baylor. Over 200 campuses, things began to happen. There was this simultaneous move that God showed you. Then the Jesus movie comes out. I'm thinking, wow, God, you're so awesome. Before those things began to happen, though, in the beginning of January of 2023, I'm frustrated. I'm laying in bed. I'm in anguish thinking about, again, those three words. God, what are you going to do? What does this completely mean? I'm concerned about where this generation is, where our nation is, and the, the hypocrisy, and, and the, the, all the play acting, and stage acting, and who can you really trust? And I remember laying in my bed, my wife, she's already asleep. I'm sitting there. I'm just choked up, and I, I'm just not knowing what to do, and I'm just feeling like I'm so just filled with just this anguish. And I kept hearing Psalm 51. And then I began to hear a song by Keith Green. And so I picked up my iPhone next to the bed. I looked up that particular song that Keith Green sang. And I began to play it very softly. And right in that moment, I began to break. And tears began to flow. I felt the release in my spirit. And the Lord was saying, I want to expose my people so they can get ready for what I wanna do. But it doesn't start with pointing the finger everywhere else, it starts with us individually and then a corporate heart awakening. I had to listen to it over and over. Created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. I kept saying that over and over and over, saying God start with me. Now, literally, I didn't know God was gonna take me so serious because on Easter Sunday this year, um, some friends of mine said to me after Sunday service, hey, let's go play pickleball. It's, it's a no-contact sport. It'll be fun. So Lisa and I said, okay, we'll go. That afternoon, we went to a, it's a concrete court downtown Houston, and we're doing couples, and we're, I'm going, man, this is fun. I was enjoying it. But I forgot that I'll be 67 this year. So all of a sudden, the pickleball goes, I'm going to do a backhand, Back in my football days and wrestling and baseball, you, you could stop on a dime because you were trained to do agility stuff. But I don't do that anymore. So I'm running to do a backhand. I go like this. My mind says stop. My body doesn't stop. So my face decides to hit the concrete. I was hurting. I'm thinking, I better get to the doctor right now. My wife could tell something wasn't right. So finally we excused ourselves. We left. I did call a couple of doctor friends of mine and they said, you need to go to the emergency room. Went to the emergency room, had x-rays on my chest that was in pain, my ribs, x-rays on my forehead and my face. And sure enough, I had breaks in my face and my forehead. And they said, you need to get on antibiotics because you got air pockets where the breaks are, it can cause infection. They go, great. Another doctor friend said, send me the digital x-rays and the scans. And the digital x-rays, he goes, Doug, I don't want to concern you, but it looks like you have a ascending aortic aneurysm in your heart. And usually most people never get symptoms, and it's only discovered when it's too late or it's discovered when something else happens, it exposes it. Of course, I had to get prophetic drama out of it, and it goes back to the whole area of exposure. And so it was because of the breaks or the fall, they were able to expose the beginnings of an aortic aneurysm. But how much more in a prophetic message bigger than that context are we as the church needing God to get past our hard-headedness, to expose the hidden areas of our heart so God can prepare us for what he spotlights 
It exposes the world and we can be ready when the implosions of systems begin to happen, God can explosively work in and through us to see a move of God that we've been praying for. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.